All right, everyone, this is it. It's time for another dose of A Healthy Obsession, the weekly podcast covering soccer culture from around the world. I am your host, Adam Thurwell, and the show's brought to you by the one and only Small Goal Soccer. And today we're talking to Kelvin Quagrain from Football Beyond Borders. Football Beyond Borders is a London-based organization. They support young people from disadvantaged backgrounds who are passionate about football but may be disengaged at school. So Football Beyond Borders has got some great programs in place for these youngsters. We're going to be talking all about their project today. Kelvin's also a big Chelsea fan, so we're going to be talking about a bit of that as well. Hope you enjoyed the show and cheers as always for listening. So let's kick it off, Kelvin. Tell us a little bit about uh, Football Beyond Borders, exactly what a project is and a bit about the programme. Yeah, so we're a youth education and social exclusion charity that works with young people who are passionate about football but disengaged in their learning. Um, And what we do is we work with them intensively over a two-year period and we, yeah, try to take their passion for football and put it at the heart of their learning to kind of keep them in school. Um, our key aim as an organization is to, I guess, yeah, reduce the number of young people who are excluded from school. Um, we feel that though, you know, there are instances where exclusions are necessary, um, we feel that they can be avoided um, and they can be avoided by embedding key relatable role models in a young person's life um, at those crucial ages of like 12 to 13 and really, really developing meaningful relationships with a young person to allow them to understand their potential as individuals. Um, we, we also feel like in terms of the education system, it can be quite stifled. Um, young people can be kind of expected to learn in a particular way in a classroom, but that might not prescribe necessarily to the conditions that make them comfortable enough to learn. And so what we try to do is introduce them to different kind of styles of learning, different creative Um, projects and also um, workshops with organizations to kind of open their mind to I guess the wider working world and how diverse it is Um, Mm. and then on the back of that kind of for those who are really really interested in going into football and really want to kind of really push that importance of education and understanding whether or not they have a plan b because you know we know the numbers on how many kids actually make it into football um, but actually what they need is they, those key core educational foundations to be able to broaden their horizons. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about what we do. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. It sounds like a great project. So, and it's primarily based in London. Are you outside of London as well? Or is it all in London? Yeah, so we now work with over a thousand young people across London, Essex and the Northwest of England. Mm. Um, we decided to make that move two years ago um, when we've understood that actually in Blackpool, um, Blackpool had the highest rate of school exclusions in the country with one in f- one person from every classroom guaranteed to be excluded from school. Mm-hmm. And we felt like we had a duty to kind of be present in those areas where school exclusions and a, a real lack of opportunity um, exists in the local community. And we wanted to, I guess, learn as much as we could from the local community and then be able to provide an FBB program that could be tailored to the Northwest, that could be tailored to Essex um, and really, really, yeah, try to impact the lives of young people in those regions. 
Yeah, definitely. And and what's the process for FBB to, are you partnering with um, different schools or cities to actually find uh, the best way to source the people that need the help the most? Yeah, so we partner with, um, we partner with schools and we tend to work with schools in a cluster model. So we will take um, an organization that represents a cluster of schools and we'll present our FBB offering to them. And then they will, yeah, I guess, allocate us to um, schools that they feel would best benefit from our work. We also go direct in terms of off- making sure that we, yeah, offer our um, services to schools. Um, but what we also do is that we run this at a deficit model. So like schools won't pay the full cost of the FBB program. We'll get that supplemented through partnering with um, other organizations within our external team. So We've been very, very lucky to partner with the likes of Gillette, the likes of Nike, um, the likes of Impetus, who have yeah been allowed us to be able to do as much work in as many schools as we could, especially in a period of time where schools financially um, can't fund pastoral teams, can't fund therapists to go into schools and can't find behaviour specialists to work with young people to avoid those school exclusions. And have you found just from the, your time doing this, have the schools been pretty receptive to the program or have you found some hurdles just as far as getting the partnerships established and, and making the schools sort of see that the program can be beneficial? Yeah. So we've, I think we've, yeah, we've had a really, really positive reception from the schools that we've worked with. I think they recognize um, the need for really, really skilled and talented practitioners to come in and spend more time with young people who are probably at risk on the fringes um, and really, really develop them and reintegrate them into education. I think there is always going to be, you know, funding constraints and issues that are beyond the school's control that they have to take into account. But wherever possible, we try to work as closely as we can to schools to try and yeah, find a solution to that, but also um, really, really get to understand the nature of the need in each school um, so that we know the right ways that we can provide support. Yeah, nice. Re- really interesting. So, and where's the crossover between the football and the education? Where have you seen that? Like, how, how do you feel about football's social impact and the possibility for football to have such a, a strong impact on young people's lives? I think football is the most widely consumed sport in the world. And for a lot of people, it's the first kind of instance where, you know, you have those conversations with people, you develop those core teamwork skills, you develop resilience. Um, and for a lot of our young people, it's incredibly important for understanding and developing their emotional regulation. For us, um, yeah, we try to embed therapy into our work as much as possible because we feel like there is you know, for a lot of young people who have issues behaving in the classroom, there are so many different ways in which you can allow them to express their emotions. You can empower them to um, kind of seek that vulnerability to be able to find um, the right pathways to reintegrate into the classroom. And we feel football is a unique tool to be able to build those bridges and develop those relationships. And then from there, kind of encourage young people to understand their sense of self-regulation, emotional regulation, and key decision-making. It's, it's a bit of a sidetrack away from football, but do you think that 
modern edu- education is just lacking. I've lived away from England for a while, so I'm not too familiar with the, the English school system anymore. But do you think that the school, the modernization of, uh, of education is lacking in just kind of at large with, um, especially in public school? I think, yeah, I mean, I think that for the education system um, and, you know, it's obviously picked a route to go down in terms of kind of the key topic subjects of English and maths that, you know, you absolutely need to have to work in the working world or like it's quite traditional with its approach, very much rank based, very much, um, yeah, kind of testing every, every two years. And for a young person that could be quite, it can be quite an anxious period of time. It can be a lot of high, like high pressure situation. And I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of it in lockdown, right? I think with with young people, it's so important to develop the mind mm-hmm. and to develop the mental well-being as well as kind of developing intelligence. And I think that's what sport can do. That's what, you know, topics like drama can do. It can allow people to express their emotions or communicate kind of how they're feeling internally. Um, and I think that can really, really positively supplement serious education um, avenues such as maths and English because you allow young people to feel comfortable and you allow them to feel like school can be an environment where they can be themselves mm. um, that's 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 the main thing that we want to kind of um, create with the young people that we work with is that environment of like not having that stigma attached to going to school or not completely shutting down for teachers that you feel don't relate to you actually if you create the right conditions and environment for a young person to learn and you root it in their passions, mm. then you can transform their attitudes to learning and ultimately keep them in school um, to ensure that they aren't excluded and to ensure that, um, yeah, they don't, you know, suffer the consequences of young people who are, tend to be excluded from school and wider society. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason I ask is like, I just remember my own experience going to school and I was always really disengaged just because uh, whether it was the teacher or the, the school, or the, the coursework itself, it just never really clicked with me. And it didn't, education didn't really start making sense to me until I was older. And now my son's in school, he's in the, the US and it's much of the same. Like I look at some of the stuff he's bringing home and I'm thinking, it's no wonder half the kids aren't engaged with this because it, it feels outdated to me, but I, I'm not, I don't work in education. So I don't want to sound like a, you know, hypocritical or like judgmental about the process because I'm not an expert, obviously, but yeah, I was, I was just curious to see what you thought. So just tell us a bit about your own background as well. So how, how did you land at FBB? What was your own, uh, your own background in football and also education? Um, so for me, I've been, I've been, so I've been in FBB for almost two years now, but I've been involved with FBB since about 2014. I used to go to the the sessions in Kennington um, mm. before I went to university and I used to, yeah, kind of see what it was all about. Um, and back then it was a much smaller charity, um, but yeah, it's grown by strength to strength. And for me, I've always been somebody that's passionate about football, played at a young age and kind of saw the benefits education could play in developing kind of where I wanted to go with football. Mm. Um, That was not just necessarily becoming a footballer, but actually just could I work in the football industry as such or what sorts of roles exist in the football industry as such? Because a lot of young people my age back then didn't know kind of what was out there. Mm. And so 
Yeah, saw FBB and that was kind of my first route in. And then I went to uni and I studied politics and international relations, but then decided to set up my own society to give students the opportunity to engage with the local community and kind of take a bit of the FBB model um, and apply it to our work in the society. And we were, we were really, really successful. We won a couple of awards for the work that we did. We won a National Society Award um, for the UK, which was really, really positive. And then after that, I went to work for Centerpoint Sports. So I worked for, um, yeah, Youth Homelessness, um, and then worked for Copper 90 and I was at Copper 90 I was um, yeah a bit of a presenter and also worked in their social team and beyond that then I started to see FBB really really kind of grow they were working quite a lot with Copper 90 and I felt like it was a nice natural move um, to come and join the charity and work in their social media and comms um, and since then yeah we've kind of yeah it's been a whirlwind but a really really positive experience. And you're in charge of content creation at FBB, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. So it's been a little bit of a challenge in here for everyone globally, right? So it's been a bit all over the place. So how have you, uh, how's the, the organization adapted? You mentioned just before we started recording uh, the summer months and, and there's been some programs. So what's that been like in a, in a COVID world? What's it like been running the programs? Yeah, so I guess when lockdown first started, we really start to think about like, you know, a lot of organizations were shutting up shop um, for the next few months because nobody knew what was going on. And we we kind of recognized that this period of time um, for young people would be incredibly anxious. They've just lost school. They've lost their structure. And um, we felt compelled to kind of stay open and actually create a virtual school. Mm. And the aim of this virtual school was to actually like every week kind of check in with each FVB project and kind of continue running the program through creative projects on Google Hangouts um, to give young people that sense of structure, but also to give them creative tasks to keep them occupied during that period of time. And our main thing with the virtual school was about kind of mental well-being and just being okay during this period of time because we understood that for a lot of young people particularly in crowded housing or without garden space or outdoor space it would be yeah a period of time where mentally they would struggle um, as well as educationally fall further behind their work than other peers at better schools and so for us, the main aim was to kind of keep young people on track with their education, keep checking in, communicating with them, the teachers, parents, to make sure that they are keeping on track with work, but also developing, yeah, creative projects that got them exercising, that got them creatively writing their own spoken word poetry or um, designing their own illustrations. And it was a really, really, yeah, powerful period of time in terms of what came back from our young people. We had so many incredibly inspiring and creative pieces about their experiences in lockdown um, that taught us a lot about how important it is to kind of recognize that young people are going through this isolation period in a much different way to adults. Mm. Um, and then you had everything with the Black Lives Matter um, going across social media and the George Floyd incident. And the images on social media were incredibly graphic. Mm. Uh, and so like, what we tried to do is we tried to work with groups of our young people to kind of help them express how they were feeling, um, make sure that we cr created that sense of solidarity within each of the 
FBB groups, um, and really, really use our platform to be able to share how they're feeling and to make sure that their voices were heard in the adult-dominated topics around the implications of COVID-19 on the community. Um, and so, yeah, we learned a lot. We will definitely keep aspects of the virtual school going um, going forward. And we're still on that journey where, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen in the next two to three months, whether there's going to be a second wave. And so what we're trying to do is just learn as much as we've learned so far and just be ready to kind of implement um, a program that best fits young people in whatever situation we find ourselves once they go back to school. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like uh, out of a, a really sort of difficult time, there is uh, things that might stand out that about your own organization that you can adjust and, and improve and, and add things on that, like you just mentioned that a virtual school is might, might be something you keep on forever. And it's like a, a big benefit to, to the organization. It's, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tragic time, but there's, there's some things that might come out of it that are, are beneficial anyway. Yeah. And I think, I think the main thing is, kind of the understanding that of how young people feel mm. um, and the recognition that there's the, the gap in the equality gap in education is only extending and this hasn't helped it at all and there'll be young people going back to school who haven't been in a classroom for nearly four to six months and so they have lost those classroom norms that they've probably spent a lot of time developing mm. and teachers and organizations and government need to be patient with this it can be really really easy to kind of go down the route to exclude any young person who say goes back into school in September or October and isn't quite um, ready or acclimatized to be back in a school setting um, and we just have to have that cooling period of time where yeah we just don't you know exclude at the first instance we 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 show a level of understanding and a level of um, care to ensuring that young people who haven't been connected to internet for this period of time and so haven't been working are able to catch up and also young people who haven't got those classroom nerves um, norms developed once they go back into school are given the time to reacclimatize, mm. or else you know we might see an even worse or bleaker picture for school exclusions for the year to come yeah definitely it makes sense it's definitely a, a a touchy time to make sure that we get every everybody gets things right and works together to to push forward after, after well maybe maybe not ends but at least things could cool off a little bit with the current situation yeah for sure for sure and i think for us like we we want to also stress the importance of schools being supported because yeah if they are under resourced it's going to be so hard for them to be able to you know, account for everyone um, and to think in the interests of all young people. Um, and so we're just looking on government to really, really ensure that schools are supported and that we exist as an organisation that can support schools to do their work. Yeah, definitely. And and so I just reading last week, I think the organization works with a lot of professional footballers as well. So is that uh, something that you've seen that uh, football in general, especially at a professional level, has been open arms to the uh, philanthropic portion and they, they've been more receptive uh, maybe than years previously? Because I, I remember growing up and I never really saw too much of uh, professional football getting involved in charity work, but now it seems like a little bit more uh, en vogue might not be the right word, but I, I have you seen that uh, footballers and clubs are, are looking to get a bit more involved now on the charity side of things? 
Yeah, definitely. I think we're entering an era where footballers are allowed to be a bit more of their own personalities at a younger age. I think um, you have so many different footballers from such a diverse range of backgrounds um, and they are a lot more willing to kind of use their platforms to help do better in the community um, and to help support organisations that represent potentially young people that have gone through similar pathways to them. Um, and, you know, a footballer that I can name for you that has been incredible in, in terms of his support for the programme and his commitment to um, the young people has been Chris Smalling. Mm. Um, he's our patron and ever since he joined us as a patron, he has done so much for the young people. He, you know, has taken them out on tours. He has made incredible memories and moments happen for individuals who deserve it. He has been ever present in the virtual school, jumping on Google Hangout sessions and helping to provide feedback to the young people's work. He has made every single young person that he has worked with feel comfortable and empowered to be able to just have a conversation with him. He has shared moments of vulnerability with young people um, and really, really represents kind of the height of what a footballer can do. Um, with their platform to really engage and inspire these young people. And what is even more amazing about his work is that you have kids that, you know, will say that he, will, he won't feel very confident within themselves that people know who they are or that people respect them or recognise them because of the background that they've come from. Um, will almost feel reassured by the fact that a Premier League footballer or a Serie A footballer in Chris Smalling um, spends the time and takes the time to get to know them, always remembers their names, always remembers conversations that he's left off with them, is still high achieving at the height of football, but makes time for young people. Um, it's really empowering for them. Um, and I think, yeah, more and more now we're seeing footballers like these emerge um, and really, really take to their platforms to do some positive good in the community and beyond. Yeah, and it's it's great to see that because you, you see various players that p perhaps like they get um, criticised or chastised for like for using social media, whether it's Lingard or, or Pog. I'm a Man United fan, so these are the references I can think of. But <laughs> like Lingard and Pogba, and it, it's like uh, the old school sort of criticising them. But then you've got like I was reading something. I think it was uh, Hector Bellerin was saying like these platforms should be used to do good things. It shouldn't just be you know promoting, which is fine. But like endorsements and promoting adidas or whatever like which is fine it's just like can you use it for you use this platform and your voice to do good things but it's like social media at large sort of like backfires on them because you have a bad match then and you're like in the shop window for abuse aren't you which it seems it seems massively unfair 100 percent, and i think more and more we're starting to see again players break their ice in terms of sharing their emotions, reflecting mm. on how they're feeling, having these conversations that make them feel vulnerable for the first time. And these are the sorts of things that, you know, we try to encourage with our young people in our sessions. Um, uh, and, you know, who knows where football is going to go from here? Who knows what players are going to go from here? Particularly when you talk about someone like Lingard, for example. Yes, on one side you get the kind of criticism about, you know, um, use of social media and what, what he's done with it but actually like he's recently taken to his social media to open up and reflect on his mental health mm. um, and I think more importantly you know we've got to remember that behind the player um, is a human is a human being that probably has 
been looked after a lot by the people around them um, and has never really kind of thought about using their platform to speak on anything other than football. And as they grow older and as football moves into this new place, it's starting to bleed out from being just not about, you know, playing 90 minutes every weekend or training loads, but about who you are as an individual um, and why you're important and why your story um, is important and powerful to you. And I think a lot of these footballers are starting to realise that now. Um, more and more coming out, speaking on masculinity, speaking on um, the importance of sharing emotion, of, um, yeah, the implications of, you know, bad matches on social media and how that makes them feel. And I think it's more important than ever that we encourage these sorts of actions um, and celebrate them when they do. Yeah, definitely. Cause it was, I mean, it was so taboo for a long time for any footballer to talk about anything like that. And like you tying it together with FBB where you've got players, young players that are idolized and now youngsters can look up to the players and say, look, he's talking about this. Why can't I talk about it? Like he's, he's yeah. someone I look up to and like tying those two things together is massive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly massive. These are the sorts of role models that we need young people to look up to at a young age. Um, because they're so influential in inspiring young people to want to become footballers, um, why don't you weave in positive messages about how to become better people and better mm. versions of yourself by practicing what it means to be the best version of yourself, not just on the pitch, but outside the pitch. Yeah, and so, definitely. like you said, yeah, I think it's incredibly important, um, and particularly for our program as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then for anyone listening that's wanting to get involved in the, this, this side of the game, you mentioned earlier, you, you said it well, that there's a lot of people that have either played football or have got a background in football, but perhaps you haven't played professionally or but you want to remain in the game. So what, what would you say to someone that is looking to get involved in this side of, of, the, of, excuse me, of the game that is the, uh, the philanthropic portion, the charity side of football? I'd say, um, yeah, I'd say kind of understand what, sorts of organizations exist that use the power of football to inspire um, any sort of generation in your community um, check out their websites and then um, yeah find out ways you can either volunteer or donate or become monthly newsletters um, supporters um, and just learn learn about the program I think that's what kind of I did at that point uh, is what I went to seek out the more um, substance side of football and found myself at this wonderful charity and I'm now working here. So um, I think we can all do a little bit with our platform. We can all do a little bit um, with our voice um, or with our actions. And it doesn't take much to either follow them on social media or um, find out ways that you can volunteer and support. Yeah, very, very cool. So what's, what's sort of the next, the next chapter of uh, FBB for yourself and just for the organisation at large? What's, what's coming up now? It's a, the world's a little bit uncertain at the moment, I know, but what's, what's the plans for FBB in the next, the next short while? Yeah, so we're gearing up to kind of, yeah, I guess we're gearing up to go back to schools beyond September. Um, we're very much waiting on government guidelines to kind of understand what that looks like. Mm. I think it's still very much up in the air. And schools, um, yeah, schools are still trying to understand what that looks like. Um, so the FBB program should be starting again properly in schools. At the minute, we're doing summer schools. We've got a digital showcase coming up that we're going to be 
holding in early October to showcase some of the work of our girls program. Um, we've also got a campaign on school exclusions that we are going to be launching as and when schools return. And so, yeah, stay tuned for that. And, and yeah, it should be really, really good. Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds really cool. And is there a, a place where people can follow along, just social media and, um, and Twitter and Instagram? Yeah, so um, if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, follow us on Instagram at Football Beyond Borders, um, Twitter at F Beyond Borders. Um, check out our website, www.footballbeyondborders.org. Um, check out our LinkedIn, Football Beyond Borders, Facebook, Football Beyond Borders. Um, you can become a monthly subscriber to the newsletter or you can support us by donating. Um, all the information is on the website. Um, but yeah, join us and join the movement. Well, so, well, so what, no, no, uh, no TikTok yet? TikTok, I mean, yeah, yeah. We've, cool. um, we're delving into the TikTok space as well. So for all TikTok avid fans, you will see FBB content on there. <laughs> Very cool. Have you, have, you, have you got a team you support yourself? Yes, I'm a big Chelsea fan. Oh, nice. How do you feel about the season? Um, I think it was a, a great season of learnings for Frank Lampard. I think what we've achieved with the squad that we had, I think it's been really, really, yeah, really, really great. Um, and the work starts now. You can see from our early signings that we're trying to make a statement. We want to close the gap between Liverpool and Man City. And so next season will be where um, yeah, where we try to make that statement with the players that we're bringing in and the players we already have. So I'm very excited to see what Chelsea come out as um, in September. And I think we will, yeah, I think we will upset a few people. Yeah, it's definitely a successful first season, it seems. And it's, it's nice to see Chelsea kind of pivot to like bringing through some of the younger players and giving them an actual chance, whereas previously it was always like sign players, right? And, and not give the, some of the youth products a, a chance in the team. 100%. I think we've gone through a bit of a rebrand and a, mm. a new policy in terms of the way we want Chelsea to look and the principles um, behind our work in the academy. Um, and I think you're only going to see more and more young people break through. I think Amjurin, um, Armando Broja, I think they're on, they're on the brink of breaking through. And so like, I'm really, really excited to see the new crop um, really, really take the forefront. I think Tammy will become an amazing striker I think Mason Mount is incredible. Um, Billy Gilmore's got such a bright future ahead of him. Um, Tomori will have a really, really bright future as well. So there are so many, um, so many different young talents out well, there. That and he's not—he's he's not an academy player, but you can't forget about our boy Pulisic. He looks—he looks on fire at the moment. Pulisic is unbelievable. Um, he gets better and better every day. I think he came to Chelsea with a real intent to not just fill the gap of Hazard, but go beyond it. Mm. You can tell by his character and his demeanour that he's not coming here to be another Hazard. He wants, to, he wants to create his own legacy at the club. He wants to create his own identity in terms of the way he plays. Um, and he's just, as long as he's enjoying his football and he's out there and he's kind of given that free attacking role to express himself, then I think you're just going to see him go from strength to strength. And we're very excited to see where, his, where the next season takes him. Yeah, it's amazing to see, not particularly for Chelsea, but but it's good to see an, it's good to see an American player kind of make some waves, and he does look like the real deal anyway. Do you, do you think that you think Chelsea can challenge if they tighten up at the back a little bit? It seems like defending's a bit of a dying art in general in football at the moment. 
I mean, you've got to get lucky with defenders these days, right? Like right. the prospects of buying a great defender is either you spend 109 million or you try to do what Liverpool did and get Van, turn Van Dijk into who he is. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, if we tighten up at the back um, and get the signings that we are looking to get, then we can, I think, push the top two sides, definitely push for the cup, definitely make a good stake for ourselves in the Champions League. But um, I think it'll probably need two seasons before we can get to the levels of City and Liverpool. Well, we're, and we're living in a, an age of like instant gratification, right? So if like if if managers do struggle, it's like very it's very hard to build anything anymore without like oh you've lost two matches, but well, that's it. Your your head's on the chopping block. Like it's got to be intense to be a manager. One hundred percent, and it's even more intense when you're working for Mister Abramovich, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the biggest sharks in football over the last ten years. So I think yeah, I think you know there'll be a lot of pressure on Frank's head. And I think the club are trying to demonstrate that they want him in for the long term. But mm. the way he is, the way he carries himself, his own principles, um, you can already see like he judges himself very short term. He, he's, he's here to really, really make a name for himself. And he really, really carries his passion you know, with him to every game. Mm. And that's instilling into the players. I think the players are seeing what it takes to be a legend like Frank Lampard. And are understanding this kind of philosophy almost that's developing at Chelsea. Quite similar to the way Klopp manages his teams. You know, it's all about the principle of and the philosophy of the club and the team um, as a whole, which stamps out the kind of individual player um, environment. So, you know, who knows? I think he's going to develop into someone similar to Klopp. I think he's looking at the Liverpool model closely and trying to develop the right principles at Chelsea Football Club. And it's really, really exciting to see. Yeah, it's cool to see football transition to that as well, like where there's actually like a holistic approach instead of just like sort of plaster, putting a plaster over everything and hoping it sticks. And it instead of, you know, signing two fifty million pound players, you've got two academy products that are, you know, lads that are actually going to get given a chance instead of overlooked. 100%. It's a, it's a great quality of management if you can turn a normal player into a world-class champion. Um, and that's what he's done with that squad. If you look at that squad five years ago, none of them were playing at a level where, you know, that, that they could even dream of winning Champions League football. Yeah. Um, but look at where he's taken every single one of them. And, you know, you can only look at it in Trent Alexander-Arnold. You can look at it in Van Dijk. You can look at um, even Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Like, he's turned very, very ordinary players into dominant winners um, who only know how to win uh, and I think that's a huge testament to his work well and that's just it like he's half the guys he signed like Robertson from Hull and like yeah. even, even the front three like they were sort of written off like nobody would have thought oh what their world be is and he's turned them all into just like it's signing the player instead of the name he's gone and signed the player that fits the mold and I, I, I heard the story yesterday from a, a journalist that works at Melwood and he said <laughs> he said that Klopp walks in the first day and Liverpool like the administration come out and sort of say okay here's your like handbook and this is what you need to do for scheduling and blah 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 
a cop rips the pages up in front of the guy and he just said, uh, look, you can fire me if you want, but I'm not doing any of that. You know, I'm going to go and build my team now. And, you know, if, if that's okay, and you're not firing me, then I'll go and get to work. But it was like sort of tearing it down. And I think a couple of teams had to do that, didn't they? Like Chelsea, Manchester United, even Arsenal are trying to do it to a certain extent. So really, really interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, really, really good to see. Um, It'll be exciting to exciting watch next season. Yeah, definitely. Hey, listen, Kelvin, we'll let you go in here. We've got, you've got a, a lot of good work to do and keep up the amazing job. It's great to see FBB killing it and we appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Kelvin. Thank you. All right, everyone, that is it. It is the end of today's show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and to Kelvin and Football Beyond Borders for being part of the show today. We'll be back on Tuesday where myself and Mr. Thomas Hurdle will be doing the AHO Weekly Roundup. Until then, this has been a healthy obsession. Thank you for being part of the community and listening, and we will see you all on the other side. Cheers.